Welcome to the Chapter 49 podcast for May 21st, 2021. I'm Larry Lannon. I'm a retiree and I do communications on a volunteer basis for Chapter 49. And uh, this, of course, is a production of NTU Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. So we want we uh, would like to once again welcome our chapter president, Duncan Giles, back to the program. Duncan, welcome. Good to have you back. Good to be here, Larry. And I, uh, you've had another day of hard bargaining. We're going to talk more about that. You're working on the national agreement. But I want to start off with a little meme that's been going around the Internet. I thought this was something good to start off with since a lot of us are either tax people or close to being tax people. There's a sign that says the following, my boss wants me to sign up for a 401k. No way I'm running that far. (laughs) I've known some, I've known some bosses that would like me to run about that far. Well, yeah. Well, now Duncan, it wouldn't do you bad if you just walked a little bit, you know that. But no, I, 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 you know, I have to tell you, I, I admire people who do that long distance running, who do the, the marathons, which are just now beginning to come back. You know, last year they pretty much disappeared, and and uh, now we're starting to see them, and that's that's a sign of, of, uh, of the fact that we are starting and very slowly but surely putting the pandemic behind us, and that takes us to our first issue of the day, um, the masks. And people with vaccinations are now being told they can take their masks off. We continue to get more guidance from the Centers for Disease Control and from the Office of Personnel Management, OPM. And it's changing rather rapidly since the last time we talked. Last time we talked, that CDC guidance had just come out. So tell us where all the mask information stands as we speak today. Okay, as as of the time that we record this, because God knows, you know, in an hour or so, they could change it again. But right now, in federal space, so if you're in federal space, whether it's a federal building or lease space uh, that your office is in, you do not, if you've been vaccinated, fully vaccinated, either the two shots for the Moderna or the Pfizer or the one shot with the Johnson & Johnson, and it's been your two weeks past that date, you do not have to wear a mask at all. And that brings up a number of other questions, doesn't it, Duncan? Yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me tell you the one that I found interesting, and uh, uh, IRS and NTEU at the national level have been meeting, like it started off like almost twice a week, then it's once a week, and now it's every every other week that there's a, a meeting on some of these issues between the NTU uh, top leadership in Washington and the IRS management officials. And here's what got me as somebody who did spend six years managing taxpayer assistance centers. You know, the, the management saying, well, you know, the, uh, we're not going to force the customers, the tax, taxpaying public walking it in person to wear a mask. And if you're vaccinated, you're an employee, you don't have to wear a mask. And, and, of course, NTU said, well, why don't you require the public to wear a mask when walking into an IRS office? And the response was, well, if we did that, we would have to force all the employees to wear a mask. Am I missing something here? 
Yes, uh, common sense. And that, unfortunately, is in short supply sometimes. It's, it should be a very simple issue. Right now, we want to make sure NTU, both Chapter 49 and every chapter I know of across the country, as well as national, wants to make sure that the employees are as safe as possible. So we're fine with the, you know, if you've been vaccinated, fully vaccinated, you can go without a mask. But there's no way to know if taxpayers have been fully vaccinated. You know, they're not being asked to prove it, any sort of thing like that. And so we're very nervous. Even people who have been uh, fully vaccinated can still catch COVID. It doesn't, It you know, you may catch a much milder version because of your vaccination, but you can still catch it. And we don't want to put any of our uh, employees in harm's way. IRS's position is a legal point that, to be honest, escapes me um, because they do have the right to ask people to show proof when they come in. But as of yet, they haven't done that. And with a combination of not doing that and recalling the uh, the folks who work in the tax starting this coming Monday, a lot of them are coming back to work across the country in person as opposed to teleworking. It's It's not making us happy. Well, and and that also gets us to the next question. And the next question, in my view, is, all right, if that's the case, then how do we deal with other divisions? Obviously, there'll be a point in time, based on what we're seeing with the Taxpayer Assistance Centers and the ITAS and the other support people with them, that the other divisions will be coming in. When will toll-free be required to come in? Although they seem to be working at home rather well now. When will the exam and, and, and revenue officer field people be required to come back in the office at least part of the time? We don't know the answer, but don't you think that what we're seeing now is sort of a, 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 a opening the door to what we might see later? I very much do. Um, we're pushing very, very hard for people that are able to do their jobs currently on telework to be able to remain on telework. There's no reason to bring these folks in, whether they're in TAS, whether they're a CSR in accounts management, whether they're an LBNI, whether they're an SBSE. There is no reason to have to bring them in at this time. So we're pushing very hard for that. And NTU has been told nationally by IRS that as of right now, there is no plan to bring people back in, but we have to wonder about that. Well, yes, and, and that's what they said uh, right before. Well, I won't get <laughs> I could give lots of examples, but let's not even try that. Uh, there have been other times when the service has said, no, 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 and then a week later, oh, yeah, that is what we're going to do after the rumors have been rampant for two or three weeks. One other thing I want to mention in this regard, uh, there's being, there, there have been some noise, there's some noises being made by some members of Congress. And some of these members of Congress, they're not a majority as best I can tell, but they're getting up and they're giving speeches on the uh, floor of the House and Senate, mostly the House, I think, at this point, basically saying they think all federal employees should be back on the job now. I think it should be said they're welcome to their opinion. They can vote however they want. But right now, that is not the policy of any federal agency of which I'm aware that they're bringing everybody back. I am always so excited 
to hear politicians talk about scientific facts when they have no basis for that. I understand that they want to get the government back up and running. Well, I'm sorry, to a large degree, the government has been back up and running. And I'll speak specifically for the IRS is our folks in submission processing in the service centers doing all sorts of jobs are back. Our folks are on the phones. Our folks are, you know, taking care of collections. They're taking care of exams. They're doing it in a different way in a pandemic era, but they are doing the work. So basically just saying, okay, we have to come in just to come in is just, I, I, I've got a few choice terms for that, but on a Friday afternoon, I'm biting my tongue. Well, the question I would ask them, Duncan, is how many of your own staff are, in fact, not working in the office? And the, their answer might be all of my staff's working in the office because they're making them do well, that. But I, yes. My understanding is a lot of uh, congressional staff's working at home, but I could be wrong about that. Well, I know I'm saying the right minded people will let their staff work at home because they're not they can do that work. And that just proves the point that you can do it remotely. And that's been. NTU's point for a lot of jobs right now. You know, CS uh, customer service reps are taking calls and doing the job right now. Folks in TAS are doing the job right now. These are two large groups that were never able to do telework because they said the jobs couldn't be done by that way. Well, they are. Let's uh, move to some good news because we finally do have a process and uh, we have forms and, and, and some way of, of actually requesting what's called emergency paid leave. Of course, this is the government, so we do have to have an acronym. It's EPL. <laughs> and uh, so now if you want EPL, uh, it's not technically available now because the system cannot take it for, I think, another week or so. You can clarify that. But it's not too late to send in the information to your manager for consideration. So give some advice to people who want some of this particularly retroactive uh, leave under the EPL system. You know, how soon should you get this in and how do you go about doing it? Yeah, if you haven't gotten your EPL paperwork in already, I would suggest you do it ASAP because this fund does have you know, it's, uh, you know, a certain amount for the entire federal government. So we want to make sure that our folks are ready to go um, when it starts, which should be next week. And there are forms that NTU is supplied. There are forms the IRS is supplied. They're a little bit different, but they do the same things. Either one should be acceptable by your manager. If it's not, let myself, if you're listening from another locality outside of Indiana, let your chapter know. Uh, but yeah, get that paperwork in as soon as possible. Well, another thing that I want to talk about, and this is is key to what any local NTEU chapter does, it's represent the employees within your jurisdiction. Ours is in the state of Indiana with a couple of small exceptions. So when people are unfairly um, disciplined or, or receive unfair treatment in any way, that's not consistent with contracts, law, or both. You know, Chapter 49 works hard to represent these people. You have two examples. I don't think we want to get into names, but we can get into general circumstances. Chapter 49 has uh, 
uh, how should I put this, well-represented two people here recently. And I'd like you to talk more about that. Yeah, these are uh, two different cases. Um, one individual was a proposed termination for a UNAX. Another one was a, um, a proposed 30-day suspension for a couple of items. And in going through the information that was provided on, it was, it was plain in both cases that uh, both punishments were way overreaching. Um, on the first case, the proposed termination, uh, we were able to get that down to a three-day suspension um, without having to go to arbitration. On the 30-day suspension, uh, we had gotten it down to 20 days after doing a reply on it. And then once it was invoked for arbitration, our fine field representative, Thomas Coates, who's been on our podcast, uh, got an agreement with the IRS down to one day. So basically, somebody proposed termination down to three days, 30-day suspension down to one day. And these are examples of things that uh, Chapter 49 and chapters across the country do every single day because that's our job and trying to make sure that things are done correctly. Not, you know, no yeah. employees are perfect, but we want to make sure that things are done correctly and uh, their punishment is not punitive. Interesting you bring up UNAX because I remember I was still chapter vice president. So this is ancient history here, right? This is probably the mid to late 1990s when that UNAX law was passed. And I do remember that the management took a very tough line, tried to basically fire everybody that had any kind of, of violation. And we were very concerned about that as a union. And what has happened is that the arbitrators and the courts have said, yes, you know, it's a violation, but it, it's not fair and it's not uh, reasonable to fire everybody, boom, every time there's a violation. There are other considerations to be made. And uh, you and I have, um, have dealt with, uh, when I was still a, a steward for the chapter, uh, you and I dealt with some UNEX uh, violations where we were quite worried the person was going to be terminated. And once we went through the process, did our representational work, it, was, it went down to something much less than that. So whether it's UNAX or some other kind of violation, we hold management's feet to the fire. They do have a very important responsibility to prove that uh, the penalty that they have proposed is correct. And I have to give you and, and, and all the people working in the chapter, Gail Groves, the chief steward, Zoe, who's an officer up in, uh, in Marylville, that uh, you're all doing good work. And uh, Percy Groves also, who's an uh, elected official, all should uh, receive praise for the work that you do. You, you do it every day, and, and I'm glad you can, can uh, talk to everyone about these important victories, which uh, help all employees in the end because we're, we're setting up precedents for later in some cases. And in these two cases, not so much because it didn't go to arbitration. But it's really a good thing that the arbitration was avoided and everything was settled well before that. So any other comments on that before we move on? Yeah, our arbitration is a a thing that costs the chapter money. So in addition to getting what we felt was uh, more just, um, for lack of a better term, punishment in this case, 
it also saved the chapter thousands of dollars because we would be, even if we were prevailed, we'd be responsible for uh, part of the arbitration costs and those are not cheap. So it, it works out well for everybody when we're able to do our jobs and fix issues. And it should be noted that Chapter 49 is more than willing to go to arbitration if need be. And, the, you know, we, that's why we, uh, I think as a chapter, have always been very careful how we spend our money. I, that was true when I was an officer, and I know it's been true ever since. So um, I, I know that uh, if, if you have to spend the money, you will, but avoiding it is also very good for the employee and the chapter. So very good points that you make there. Let's talk about something else. You and I uh, have kind of gotten into the habit of doing these on Fridays because you are involved with national bargaining, and it, that seems to be the best time for you to get away. And today we had to wait till late in the day because your bargaining went longer than usual on a Friday. So I know, again, even though you're limited in what you can say, I'm very interested to know what you can tell us about the state of uh, the national agreement bargaining as we sit here today. Uh, the state of bargaining is that I do not drink near enough for this. Um, it's it's uh, can be very, very interesting. Things that will come up that you would never think would be an issue and other things that you know was going to be um, contentious just because of the party's interest in trying to hit that middle. Some things are just, uh, when they hit you, it's just like you just, can't believe it. Uh, for example, this week, uh, I don't usually like to talk about what's happened in negotiations, um, but this one was just blew, blew all of us away. Um, there was a dress code that was proposed. And it was so, it had so many specifics, we were all basically in, in shock about it. Um, first off, I don't know people that are abusing the, you know, must be groomed and dressed appropriately for the work that you're doing. I don't know anybody in the state of Indiana, and I've heard very few cases across the country um, in the last 20 years where that's been abused. But this, this was a particular interest to a certain high-level executive, and it just, it really just blew us away, the things that you know, that they were talking about. And I tried to end the discussion at the end of it. I will, I will put this part of the bargaining in. There was a statement in there that was so broad that it scared me a lot um, from a legal standpoint as to what managers would be able to do. The second part was, I said, well, if there's going to be a, uh, you know, if you're going to require clothing, so specific clothing that people wear, I'm not seeing where the clothing stipend for all employees per month is. And then I did try and I sacrificed here. I said, okay, I will, if you guys will agree to withdraw this, I will agree not to wear anything that is sheer or bare midriff. I don't that's know a, why they a, didn't end the discussion right there. That should have been enough for anybody. That is a very serious uh, threat. <laughs> of course, I was thinking I'm, I'm just waiting for some manager out there uh, with language like that to just uh, require people to wear tuxedos and formal dresses to work every day. I, yeah, yeah, it, some of it was just, you looked at it and it was just so funny because 
you know, as, as all of the employees listening know, especially field employees, first off, if you're not in the field, if you're in a, you know, a call site, a service center, something like that, you're not seeing taxpayers. You know, as long as you're being groomed appropriately and you're dressed, it shouldn't be a big deal. But for field employees, there are certain parts of the state of Indiana that I was thinking of that if you go down there dressed, you know, to the nines and, you know, are calling on a farm or in certain areas of the state, um, you know, you might as well pin a target on your back. And you have to dress appropriately for where you're going. And that seemed to be a, uh, a point of contention. I'm hoping that uh, in the near future, we can move off some of this, but it was just, it gives you an indication of sometimes how far apart the parties are. Well, can I, uh, can I make, can I switch this to a much better subject? Here's a better subject for you. you got a lot of attention. It's been in the news a little bit, especially in the federal employee news media, but it's also uh, creeped into uh, other news organizations like the Washington Post and others. The IRS, based on some Treasury guidance and, and some information that was released just a day or two before we record this, basically Treasury says that the IRS is going to need to hire 57,000 more people. That is a gigantic hire at one time. I think it's over 10 years, but still, that's a very big increase because over the last 10 years, we've been on the decrease so much. And the idea is to ramp up enforcement. And I think there's a recognition on the part of Treasury and the White House and others who are proposing this that it's going to take some time to do this. this. You know, we can't just hire a group of people and start seeing money roll in within a few months. Uh, it will take time to hire people, put them under on-the-job instruction. Some people wash out of the job uh, through when they're in training or in their coaching. So um, there's a lot to be said here. But, Duncan, I think, uh, in general, this is very good news for the agency. It is. The 57000 that they're looking to hire over, they hope the next five years is just going to be replacement for the number of people they figure are going to be retiring in the next five years. Um, they've they've got a certain algorithm that they figured out, and they think that this many people is going uh, are going to be retiring in this time period. So this won't even actually increase us. We'll actually need to hire more than the fifty seven thousand to get above the numbers we are now. So it's it's something that both IRS management and NTU have a vested shared interest in. We wanna make sure that um, we get the people hired. We wanna make sure, NTU wants to make sure that the internal applicants for these positions are uh, get a fair shake and are considered because you should reward the people that are working for you now. So if there are people that will qualify for a different or better uh, career path for themselves, we want to make sure those people get the opportunity as well as welcome in people from the outside. So uh, that is on the way. I, that 57000 is actually five years, not 10 years. But I think there is, is there not a 10-year plan out there for hiring? I thought I saw Yeah, the, the money is out there for 10 years. The 57000 <laughs> is what they figure over five years, and then they're hoping to have a certain number over and above that to uh, to basically increase the number. And like I say, we're all for it. We just 
We just want to make sure it's done right. That's that's what we're looking at. And to you, there's um, how should I put this? Generally, there's a bipartisan uh, uh, approval of this idea. Generally, but there are some uh, people on in, in, on Capitol Hill who are starting to make comments about this. Particularly, one Senate leader, minority leader, and sadly, one elected official from Indiana. Who's starting to make? They're both starting to make the uh, argument that they don't want to increase IRS enforcement because they're worried that uh, the IRS is going to come after one political party or the other, one particular one. And I want to emphasize to everyone that years ago, when that allegation was made that the IRS was somehow going after people for political reasons. Uh, that was a, a big news story for a while, but nobody read the reports that followed, which made it very clear the IRS did not do that in any way. The people who were involved in that situation handled it correctly. So I, that's my own little personal opinion there, and I'm sad to see certain elected officials trying to shape the argument in a way that I don't think is fair. So I, I yeah. when when somebody's when somebody's given, uh, you know an examination to go out and examine a company or examine a person that, to be honest with you, they could care less what political party it is. It's like, okay, did you pay your fair share of taxes? Are you hiding income that you should be declaring? If we're going out to collect money again, it doesn't matter what political party they're part of or what their leanings are. It's okay. If you owe this money, what's your plan to pay this? Because you, you've, you know, increase the, you've incurred this debt and now we want to make sure we can go out and collect it. That's what it comes down to. So I share your, um, mine is disgust at seeing something like that. Yeah. And I think we have to go back and remember that the, the, uh, controversies of the past centered on the nonprofit area. And again, all, I mean, there was an initial burst of, of publicity and hearings. Then once we actually had the investigations conclude, they all concluded IRS was handled correctly, was not at fault. And of course, the way the news works, that didn't get nearly as much publicity, but I think we all need to keep that in mind. I want to talk about a couple more things before we wrap this up. And, and, uh, You've already mentioned the fact that we have a number of CSRs working on toll-free from their homes. But I think it should be noted just how difficult these people working in accounts management have had it for some time. Tell us the, the just what all these people are dealing with in toll-free right now. Yeah, anybody who is having public contact, um, especially customer service reps, CSRs, but anybody who's having public contact, because the public is so frustrated, they want information, they want answers. Where's my EIP payment? Where's my refund? Why haven't I gotten this? Why can't I get a transcript? And we're all used to a certain amount of frustration on people, but it's gotten to be way too much. And I want to say to each and every person that's listening to this, uh, that deals with taxpayers is you do not repeat. You do not have to take abuse from people, from taxpayers. You're there to help them. If they want to abuse you, you politely tell them that they need to quit calling you names, quit cursing, whatever it is that they're doing. And if not, that you are going to have to disconnect them or, you know, whatever the situation may be where 
you know, walk away if you're face-to-face, something, something of that nature. None of, none of the employees, none of the employees of the IRS have to take abuse like that. And I, every other chapter leader I know across the country and national and to you will not stand for those types of things. So don't feel you have to sit there and take that abuse. You have to be polite. You have to be, you know, give them an opportunity a little bit to vent, but they step over that line into personal abuse and will not quit once they've been warned. You are absolutely entitled to warn them. And then if they continue to disconnect that call, because it is such a tough job. Anybody that's public facing right now has such a tough job and you do not have to put up with any sort of abuse. So please do not. I'm going to go way back in ancient history here. When I was under the, my OJI in 1986, after I had my first phase of training in toll-free, my coach was such a wonderful, experienced lady. When she said, when you come up across something like that, where somebody's angry and yelling and all this, just calmly say, this conversation is no longer productive. <laughs> And try to get the person to talk to you. And if they won't, then that's that's the end. And I think that's something along those lines is is good advice for all of us. At some point, when if they're simply people that's yelling and cursing at you or something like that, nobody's getting anything out of that. So, well said. Yeah, by we, you. yeah, we all understand taxpayers now because the level of service is down because there are so many calls coming in. It's just a tidal wave of calls coming in. That you know it. The taxpayers are frustrated. That's understandable. But you, you know, none of us have to be their punching bag at well, all. And I hate to say it, Duncan, it's not going to get any better when, uh, unless people opt out of it, uh, parents start getting these monthly payments, I think in July, for their children, for the yep. their, the advance payment on this uh, additional amount that comes from the, the child tax credit. You know, we're going to get into situations where, who, you know, uh, who – if it's not the uh, traditional nuclear family, and uh, how are you going to figure out who gets this? I mean, this is—I just this is going to cause more issues. And I would certainly urge the employees again: be professional, answer the questions, do the best you can, but don't take abuse. I think that's the bottom line. Exactly. Let's uh, let's one more issue I want to talk about before we wrap this up. FSA feds, the uh, flexible spending arrangement that's available to federal employees and, of course, people working at the IRS as well. Because of everything that's been happening, um, there's been new guidance from IRS, and it's now through OPM as well, that uh, there'll be now chance a chance for people in that program to make new elections this summer. So this is a very important consideration for everyone in that program. Yeah, there's more ability to roll over. Um, what you had previously, they're really making it a, a, uh, a much better opportunity to adjust what you had happened due to COVID. So I, yeah, you're exactly right. Very important thing. And I would urge everybody that is participating in it to take a look, see if you need to make any of those adjustments um, and go from there. Any last comments from Duncan Giles? I uh, just, want everybody to get vaccinated. The sooner everybody gets fully vaccinated, the better off we all will be. And I just want to try and get us back to as much to pre-pandemic as we can be. Well, just make sure if you sign up for a 401k, it is in fact a deferred compensation plan and not some kind of race. So 
<laughs> we started with that. We'll end with that. I want to thank Duncan Giles for joining us. He's the chapter president for Chapter 49. Uh, we represent uh, most of the IRS employees in the state of Indiana. And uh, we don't want to welcome you once again. We thank you for listening. We appreciate you listen and listen to the entire podcast, which usually runs about 30 minutes. You can find these podcasts on any, just about any platform where you find podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, and on and on. We're on, we're on all those different platforms. If you're trying to find our podcasts within those platforms, all you have to do is just search under podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N. You'll see a number of podcasts. I produce several podca- podcast lines. So you just look for the Chapter 49 podcast. In the meantime, we want to thank you for listening. Please be safe and be kind. Be safe.